We're going to be camping out in verses 15 through 22. It's going to take us to the end of chapter 1. We're in a seven-week series. This is going to take us right up uh, to Christmas. So it would be wrong and I would be remiss to not mention one of the things that we actually just prayed about uh, as we opened the service, which was First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs. Many of you guys have heard uh, this news story. A man named Devin Kelly, a gunman, killed 26 people, injured 20 people in a very small church in Sutherland Springs, Texas called First Baptist Church. Um, And so we stand back as a nation, we stand back as a church, um, sort of getting a a view of another small church who was just gathering just like we are right now, and we don't know what to do with that. And um, we stand back in horror, um, and we understand that right now there are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and friends and church members who are in the beginning stages of their journey through grief. And what is grief when we talk about grief? What does that word even mean? Well, it really means this. It's how we respond to losing someone. So the question is, as we think about what happened in Sutherland Springs, is what will they do now in the aftermath what will they do in response to what has happened to them? And I, I don't know. What, what do grieving people do? We ask that question. Well, they, they suffer through cycles of denial and anger and depression, which are some of the responses that characterize grief. I do know that if we could see these people, if we could see our brothers and sisters from First Baptist Sutherland face-to-face a year from now, It's a guarantee that some of them are going to look differently, aren't they? Some of them are going to walk differently. They're going to talk differently. They're going to be shaped differently than they were before the week before last when all of this took place. The most important question for us and for them that we can ask in a situation like this is, what is God doing in their grief? And for that matter, what does He do with ours? I mean, does God just look down and say, you know, I'm going to give you a week, but after that I need you to get back to normal because I, I don't know how to deal with this. Is that what God does? Is that how He responds? Do we think of God as responding that way? How does God respond in the aftermath of ruin and wreckage in our life? This is what we're going to explore this morning as we continue to look into the life of Naomi who we saw last week was a woman who lost everything and who is now grieving in the aftermath of her tragedy. So before we do that, let's bow our heads and let's pray that God would open His Word to us. God, we are grateful that You are the God over our grief, but our grief also puts us into a fog. And so I pray that through Your Word, through this book that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that You would open up our hearts and our minds to what it is that you are trying to tell us about these moments and seasons in our life where we are responding to the pain and to the loss that we all experience. Lord, help us to see you that much more clearly as we read through this text. Illuminate our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you weren't with us last week, we we again, we began our series through the book of Ruth by asking Uh, if we believe that God is in control over the even whens. Remember we talked about the even whens. Number one, even when we make wrong decisions and suffer 
the consequences. Is God still in control just because we make a decision and maybe it was the wrong decision and now we're suffering and reeling from the consequences? Is God in control even when we can't see Him working? When we don't have a vision to see what's coming up next, what's around the corner because of the decisions we've made and the consequences that we are now dealing with. So as we saw last week, Naomi left her homeland with her husband Elimelech due to famine. There was no food in the land that they lived in and they went to the country of Moab. And then Naomi eventually loses her husband and her two sons over the course of 10 years. Now, God eventually provided, as we looked at last week, some glimpses of His grace. He eventually restored the food supply to her homeland and sent her back home. And then He also brought salvation to her now widowed but grieving, unbelieving daughter-in-law, Ruth. But as we'll see this morning, none of these things were quick fixes for Naomi. On the contrary, actually, Naomi was a woman suffering now in the fog of grief. And what we're going to hopefully unpack this morning is this. Grief can change us. Grief does change us. But if God is greater than our grief, He will meet us in it and He will change us through it. And that is the hope that we have to carry us through our grief. So let's just pick up right now Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Follow along. It says this. And she said, this is Naomi speaking, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That's the word of the Lord. So, Let's chat about Ruth here for a minute. There's a little bit of overlap because we went into those verses a little bit last week, but I want to chat for a minute about Ruth here because Ruth is a baller, all right? Can we just call her that right now? Ruth, I mean, let's look at what's going on here, all right? And enjoy that sports analogy, by the way. Uh, but, but Ruth, what, did, what does she do here? I mean, Ruth bails on her family. Uh, she bails on her religion and gives herself over to God and a grieving woman. I mean, that's not like the formula that we're all looking to lock into, right? A combination, by the way, that must have looked crazy to her friends and family that were watching her take off with Naomi. But it's this step of faith and courage that would lead Ruth to knowing what it looks like for God to care for His people. She wouldn't have known that otherwise, right? 
And in fact, Jesus spoke to this. This leaving everything to following God. He spoke to this in the New Testament when Peter made a comment to Jesus and said, look Jesus, we've left everything to follow You. You know, it's like Peter was saying, hey, I just want you to acknowledge that we have left everything. We have taken great risk to follow you. And Jesus replies in Mark uh, chapter 10, 29 through 30, he said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. This kind of describes Ruth here. For my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. What Jesus was trying to point out is that as we take this risk to follow Him and following God, following Christ is a risk. He is going to surround us with people to show that He has not abandoned us and that He is caring for us in this life. He will do that for us. It doesn't mean we're not going to run through some hard times. It doesn't mean we're not going to run through some lean times. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience grief the way Naomi is. But it does mean that God is walking by our side through the stride of others who are walking through the same things. That's the promise that Jesus made for those who forsake everything and follow God. And so what we see here in Ruth is we see a, a, a strong woman. And I think that's good for us to understand um, as we look into the Bible here is that the Bible presents us with strong women. Strong women are celebrated in the Bible. In verses 16 through 17, look, look at the way Ruth responds to Naomi. She's like, you're not getting rid of me that easy, Naomi. By the way, your house, my house. Your people, my people. Your God is now my God. Ruth's like, in case you're not getting the vibe of what I'm saying here, she's like, let me put it this way. Not only are you not getting rid of me, but I'm like going to be buried with you, right? I mean, if you look at verse 19, it says, Naomi said no more about it. Yeah, because maybe she was scared of stalker Ruth, like at this point. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know how far we want to take that, right? And I'm just being flippant here a little bit. But that shows you sort of the strength and the resolve and the nerve of Ruth, who's like, no, 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 no. I've made this decision, Naomi, and you're stuck with me, lady. That's what's happening right now. But here's what I don't want us to miss, okay? Let's not miss what incredibly beautiful picture of salvation Ruth is for us to behold. Because what happens to Ruth here is what happens to those of us, all of us, who embrace the same God that Ruth embraced. God's house becomes our house, right? His church becomes our people. Our sin dies with Christ on the cross and is buried. And God the Father is now our God. This is what transformation looks like, right? Ruth didn't just pray a prayer. This is what we're not seeing. We're not seeing modern evangelicalism here, right? We're not, we're not seeing modern church culture here. Ruth doesn't just pray a prayer, accept Jesus in her heart, and then go back to her day job, right? And her old life unchanged except for that time that she walked down the aisle during the altar call. That's not what we see here with Ruth. She's embraced her adoption into the family of faith. She made her home with God, and not only with God, but with God's family. This is the nature of a saved person. They turn from their false gods and they walk with the true God. What's so interesting for us as we look down at this is where God has her first take her baby steps 
as a believer. In other words, the first believer God puts Ruth in contact with as a believer is someone battling in the fog of grief. That was the first person, the first experience that Ruth has with somebody who's part of the family of faith. Well, then what does that tell us about God then? Given that Ruth is somebody who just came to faith in God. Well, number one, it tells us that He uses our faith to help those who are struggling in theirs. And you know what? Sometimes He doesn't wait a long time to do that, right? Sometimes you don't experience a long sanctification process before He deems us worthy to help somebody else struggling in their faith. And He just drops Ruth right in Naomi's lap, literally, if you go off of what Ruth just said, right? Number two, He shows us that grief is part of the way that He grows our faith. And so, what happens here is that we get to be an extension of God's grace to others in their grief, which then gives us a living picture of how His grace will be extended to us when we go through the valleys of the shadow of death, like we see Naomi experiencing here. So Ruth was lost, but Ruth was found. But now Naomi is lost. And she's lost in her grief as we come to verse 19. And so what we see here is that they eventually get back to town. They roll into Bethlehem. Just the two of them. Not a big entourage. But it's interesting for our purposes that the whole town starts talking. The women are like, wait, is this Naomi? And so what, test, what this tells us is that there was something significant about her appearance that stirs uh, the town. Maybe they'd heard about her loss, or, or maybe Naomi's grief was so great that it had changed her physical appearance. And maybe that's happened to you. You have suffered a tragedy so great that your physical appearance changes, or you become emotionally transformed from the person you used to be. Sometimes we're just never the same when stuff happens. Sometimes we're just never the same. Do we think, though, that somehow God is not sympathetic to those changes? Because what happens in those seasons is that God changes other things that needed to change in us too. The danger, though, as we look at Naomi's life, was that her grief was now becoming bitterness, and bitterness was becoming her identity. Let's read verses 20-22 through 22 again. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And again, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So it's the beginning of barley harvest harvest. And this would have been the first of celebrations that they would have had at this particular time of the year as they're harvesting their crops. It's a time of celebration for the whole land. But I'm telling you, man, nobody wants to invite Naomi to any party, right? Nobody wants to invite Naomi to any party right now because that's where she's at. Her appearance has changed. Her name has changed to reflect what's going on inside of her heart. That's where she is. The text doesn't debate that. Do you get that? The text is not arguing with, with where Naomi is at. That is where 
she's at. And that is where God is with her. Right? Here's my question for you and for us. What might people call you? Have you worn your grief on your sleeve to the point that people only identify with it at this point in your life? In other words, when people see you, do they only see your tragic story? Because maybe you want them to. Maybe you want them to because it's become who you are and you've grown fond of that version of yourself. David the psalmist, he, he, he wrote about this kind of suffering, this kind of suffering that feels like you're not even the same person anymore. If you want to turn to Psalm 38, I'm going to read a little portion of some of the same kind of grief that David struggled with in many of his psalms. But when you turn to Psalm 38, starting at verse 3, as you get there, I'm going to start reading. This is what David says. He kind of gives, he kind of gives a little more emotion to what we might imagine uh, Naomi is feeling. He said, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones uh, David says, because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And he says this, just in case you wonder what you're allowed to pray uh, to God, take note. Verse 5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before You. My sighing is not hidden from You. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. And you get down to verse 15, and he says, because we could just go on and on, but in verse 15 he says, but for You, O Lord, do I wait he says, it is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. I'm not a psychologist, but that sounds like David was in the middle of the fog of grief that he was experiencing and that he was responding to. Sometimes all we can do is wait for what God will do. When David says, I will wait for you, it's not because all of his relief had somehow come upon him. He was waiting for how God, what? Will answer. He was waiting for the future answer of God to help his present circumstance. Sometimes all we can do is wait for what God will do. So what do we do with this for our life? How do we apply this to our life? Here's a better way to ask it. What does Naomi's story tell us about grief, about suffering, and most importantly, about God? I have five things. The first thing is this. Naomi's story tells us that suffering and grief are the result of the fall. That suffering and grief are the result of the fall. Sickness, death, and the potential for evil. Right? We're thinking about Sutherland Springs, Texas as I say that. It entered the world when Adam fell. And guess what? We inherited that sin nature. Romans 5.12 reminds us of that when it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
So not only did the fall introduce suffering and grief, and that's how we need to rightly align our own thoughts with that, but it also means that as fallen sinners, we end up accusing God for it. We can accuse God for the cause of it. And so for us, it's helpful to remember that number one, the fall is the root cause of all brokenness. All the brokenness we see in the world, it goes back to that. It goes back to the fall of man at the time of Adam and Eve. But number two, God redeemed our root cause. He redeemed our root cause by sending Christ to remedy the brokenness. But when we back up and we look at grief and we look at suffering and we're categorically trying to say, I just don't understand, this should help you understand because there's an origin. There's an origin story. There's a, there's a prequel, right? There's a prequel to, to suffering and grief and it happens in Genesis 3 with the fall of Adam and Eve. That's the first thing that Naomi's story tells us about grief and suffering and God. Two, Naomi's story tells us that fullness and emptiness need to be rightly understood. Okay, C.S. Lewis made this quote. He said, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. That's really significant for us. That's really significant for us living in a society where we depend pretty deeply on things that can be lost for our happiness. And it only takes a story like First Baptist Sutherland Springs to remind us, oh man, it's all so thin. It's all so thin. Every purchase, everything that was financed, everything that any of those people that suffered death at the hands of Devin Kelly, man, where is that now? Where is that now? I'm not supposing they were putting all their trust in those things. I'm just saying all of those things they were engaged in that are not bad things, that are things we need to engage in. Anything that hope was placed on beyond the measure of Christ before that shooting, where are those things now? We have to be serious about that. We have to let that sober us. It's true that God fills us with blessings, but those blessings are never meant to be the capacity of our fullness. Do you guys get that? And because of that, we need to understand, listen, that Naomi was not less than because she became single again. She was not less than because she became single again. So our desire for good things, are, they're God-given. We desire good things. Those are desires given to us by God. What happens when good desires aren't met? Because that happens too in this world. It means that God is reordering our desires. It means He is waiting to meet a greater desire in your life of which lesser desires, whether met or unmet, will reshape your heart. To reshape your heart to be like the heart of Job in Job chapter 121 when he made this crazy statement when he said, naked he had lost everything. He had lost more than any of us will ever be able to comprehend losing. And Job said, hey, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How does somebody make a statement like that? Well, because it's through our emptiness that God actually becomes our fullness. 
And what happens is, in those moments, in those seasons, is we begin to worship God for God instead of what we simply get from God. So Naomi's story tells us that suffering and grief are the result of the fall. Fullness and emptiness need to be rightly understood. Three, that God wants our grief. God wants our grief. Listen, God is not uninterested. He is not angry. He is not impatient when you experience any level of grief. And sometimes the church just wants us to move on so fast. Buck it up. Go. God is good. Go. But that's never the picture we see in the Bible. God is patient. God is steadfast. Remember, Naomi had not fallen out of God's favor due to her suffering. You know what that tells us? It tells us that God doesn't wave a wand over your pain. Because that would be a waste and God doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't dispose of your pain like unwanted trash. God does not want the suffering you any less than the satisfied you. Psalm 55.22 reminds us of this when it says, cast your burden on the Lord. Cast your burden on the Lord. If God doesn't want you in your state of suffering, why is He asking us to cast our burdens on Him? It says, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will sustain you with your burden in your time of suffering. And it says, He will never permit the righteous to be moved. On the contrary, God wants your grief. In fact, your weeping is something that Jesus did. He wept and grieved over loss. And you know what the Father didn't do? Let's just call it out. The Father did not tell Him to, you know, stop that crying, Jesus. Stop that crying, Jesus. You're the Son of God for crying out loud. We don't see that. God allowed Jesus to cry and to grieve. He allows us to grieve. Not so that we are consumed by our grief, but so that He can consume our grief. You guys following me with that? Number four, Naomi's story tells us that God uses our grief for the good of others. Here's a question. Why on earth, why the heck would Ruth want to stay with Naomi? I mean, I don't know about you, but like when I'm with people and all they're experiencing are like Debbie Downer days after Debbie Downer days, like I kind of want to get out. Like I kind of want to exit. I mean, this bitter, grieving woman who is actually trying to get rid of her. Why does Ruth want to stay? Is it because Ruth was just such a gosh darn sweetie? I, I don't think so. Although she may have been a gosh darn sweetie. I think Ruth saw God's grace and God's goodness through the way Naomi was enduring through her grief. Even in the way that we see her enduring through it. Listen, the world is not looking to see how you act when everything is awesome. They're looking to see how you respond in the ruins. That's what they're looking for. Psalm 119, 74-75 says, Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So the psalmist is writing here saying, 
But I know those who fear you, they'll see me and they'll rejoice because they see that even in my affliction, I have hoped in your word. And that is going to help them through their affliction. Finally, Naomi's story tells us that God is Lord over our grief. God does not tie a bow around your suffering and your grief. God is the box and the bow that contains our suffering and grief. Listen, as Naomi traveled home, she may have found food, she may have had Ruth, she may have had glimpses of God's grace like we discussed last week, but she still had one dead husband and two dead sons, did she not? The sting of death stung. God had not resurrected her family. We will all experience suffering where there will be no immediate soothing. But the question is whether our grief will lead us to bitterness or to eventual blessing. Now, a sure way, a sure path toward bitterness becoming your identity is by isolating yourself. That's what Ruth wanted to do. Just go home. That's what Naomi wanted to do. Just go home, Ruth. Leave me alone. Let me travel back home. Let me immerse myself in my grief. Isolation contributes to bitterness becoming our identity. But a sure way to guard against that, a sure way to guard against your grief becoming bitterness is by entering into community, which is why we're all here, right? This is why we're all here. When the church walks beside one another, we are saying this, there is a God who is good. That's what we're saying to one another. God doesn't typically helicopter us out when we're walking through the desert. He walks by our side through the stride of other desert walkers. That's what he does. That's what the congregation at First Baptist Sutherland Springs is going to experience. Why? Because that's the church that God has raised up to do the work of Christ. That's going to happen. I trust that's going to happen. And that's where the gospel comes into this for us. It's Christ's acquaintance with grief, we learn in Isaiah 53.3. He was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. It's that which leads to our eventual release from it. Jesus has scars on his hands and his feet that will forever remind us of the suffering and grief he endured. But it didn't lead to bitterness because God led him through it for the blessing of all who receive it. Do you believe that God's intentions for you are bitterness or blessing? Knowing God through your grief changes your relationship to your grief. That's what's happening with Naomi slowly. And you know, when I look out at you, at the congregation, at us, I see things. I see grief. I see suffering. I have walked with many of you who have suffered grief in our congregation. I've cried with you through a miscarriage. I've prayed with you through broken marriages. I've stared into your eyes through the pain of losing your parents. I've listened to the sadness 
and confusion that some of you have because there's a wayward child in your life. I've held your hand through the agony of an illness. This is not saying anything about me. This is just telling you what I've seen. And in each of these circumstances, I have seen how knowing God has changed your relationship with grief. You know, all of you should know that. All of you should know that these things happen at Substance Church. Everything I just described. It's also why, as you just witnessed through our liturgy, why we sing songs of lament. It's because we need to be a church that lets people grieve and lament. We need to be a church where it's safe to do that and take the time you need to do that. We don't have to get through suffering as quickly as possible so that, you know, we can just start singing those praise choruses again. Lord, I lift your name on high. You know, our God is greater. I'm not knocking those songs. I'm not trying to hit against your 90s and 2000s worship playlist right now. It's not what I'm trying to do, right? I'm not trying to tear it down. Those songs are fine. They're, we don't sing them, but they're fine. <laughs> but they are unfitting for our pain. The church and the world needs to see a church that endures well through suffering by not getting through grief, but by giving our grief to the one who shares in it with us. When we see the grief that Christ suffered, we're reminded how utterly aware he is of the dramatic effect that it has on us emotionally and spiritually and physically. Christ suffered the grief of our sins so that our suffering wouldn't be for nothing, like Scott talked about so that our grief might lead us back to God. More than anything else, as we close, this is what Naomi's story tells us. Hundreds of years later, Christ would empty Himself and come to Bethlehem. And the wrath of God would be poured out against Him on the cross, which would inaugurate a harvest of righteousness for all who turn from their sin and trust in the righteousness of Christ. Our grief can lead us back to God if He's the God over our life. Let's pray. God, we don't know what to do with our grief. We respond like human beings respond to grief. We are angry we are confused, we can easily become cynical and bitter, we can drown in depression. Lord, our response to loss is something that we need you to meet us in and step nearer to us, Lord, so that we can have a greater and fuller and deeper understanding and remembrance of how Christ suffered grief for us so that we can find solace in those times when it just feels like the darkness won't lift. So God, as we look at this story, as we look at someone like Naomi, somebody who was your daughter, somebody who you had not forgotten about and abandoned in her grief, Lord, allow us to remember that today as many of us are fighting bitterness, we're fighting against tragedies that maybe took place in our lives years ago that we have just not been able to give over to you. And maybe it's caused a wall to be constructed between you and us, Lord, as we are fighting to understand where you have been 
But Lord, what we understand from Your Word is that You are never far away. You are near to the brokenhearted. And just because we can't see it and because we can't feel it doesn't mean it's less true. So Lord, right now we pray for eyes and hearts that would understand that, that would receive the care and the comfort that You give to us the comfort of Christ that we receive as we walk through these valleys of suffering and grief through our brothers and sisters. Lord, let us be an encouragement to those who are suffering and let us receive encouragement from those who have suffered. Lord, let us be what You have called the church to be today. And Lord, let us have a bright hope, not because our circumstances are automatically changed, but because You are changing us and you are preparing us for the hope that is to come, the hope of seeing you face to face when everything will finally come into full view as we behold your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. amen.